Our scripture reading is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we begin to read at the first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this You greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in the praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, You love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a 
lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. First Peter chapter 1, a few verses here, uh, beginning at verse 17. First Peter 1, 17. Uh, Peter writes, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Yes, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. The fear of God, what does that mean? Well, in Genesis we are told that Adam said to the Lord, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Adam was afraid. He dreaded the Lord and he had every right to because he had just committed that sin. That sin that contains just about every other sin there is. And that sin that was the start of the fall that brought mankind into a state of sin and misery. So Adam feared God in that sense. Indeed, in Deuteronomy, the Lord says this very day, I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. (coughs) They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. No doubt they were. And they heard about what what God had done for his people. They feared them. They dreaded them. They wanted to run away from them. But then there's another type of fear. Maybe it's an expression that we don't really use much today. Leviticus 19.3 Each of you must fear his mother and father. Modern translations simply put that as respect. Respect. Joshua 4.14 That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel and they feared him all the days of his life, just as they had feared 
Moses. Again, modern translations just simply put that as revered. They stood in awe, in respect, in reverence before these people. So the, the, the word fear can either be taken to, 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 to recoil in, in, in terror and in dread, or that very different meaning reverence, respect, awe. Now, of course, especially for the unbeliever, for the lost, they have every right and ought to be afraid of God. Oh, that oh, that God would put real fear into them. That they would that they would want to, to be right with him. The unrepentant sinner stands under the, the wrath of God. And as Moses says in the 90th Psalm, who knows the power of your anger? And of course, in the book of the Revelation, we have that, we have that awful passage where the, 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 the lost call on the mountains to hide them from God. They, 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 they want to flee in, in terror. But the true believer has nothing to fear in that sense. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no dread. There's no dread there. So when the Scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, describe the saints as fearing God, and when God commands Christians to fear him, it's not the, the fear of terror and of dread. Indeed, in Luke chapter 12, the Savior says, Fear not, fear not, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Not that not that awful fear. Rather, it's the fear of respect, of, of reverence, of awe, and of honor. Now, this is a concept, I have to say, that is rare today. The names, titles, attributes, words, and works of God we find so often treated flippantly. You hear it, don't you? OMG. It's become a, a, a word that just people throw out, not thinking for one moment of, of, of what they're doing. Indeed, the Old Testament believer so revered God that he wouldn't even pronounce his holy name. And yet today, people speak of God with carelessness and irreverence. Uh, it's, it's awful, isn't it? And I have to say that even many Christians in conversation and and their worship do not address God with the respect that he, that he deserves. I mean, who among us... I, I, I have that awful thing. Maybe it's just me. But Her Majesty was going along and you could see on the news that she was uh, interviewing or chatting to these, this rugby team, a certain rugby team. I'll not name them. I'll not name the individual. But when she came to one chap and started to chat to him, there he is standing with his hands and his pockets up to the elbows. Is, is it just me or does that sort of thing, is it a generation thing? 
I don't know. Nobody's nodding here, so I don't know. But, you know, how awful respect seems to have gone out. But, you know, how much more so when we stand before the Almighty, the God of all creation, the God of all providence, and the God especially of our salvation, the God before whom we will all one day stand. Well, the Apostle Peter here is writing to the Christians of Asia Minor. And he has covered salvation and how that came to them. He has covered the necessity for holiness and so on. And now he comes to this fear of God, that we ought to stand in awe of God, that we ought to treat him with reverence. And he gives us four reasons why they uh, and we must stand in awe of God. Must uh, gives us four reasons to, to, to reverence God as, as, as the Holy One. And firstly, of course, God's relationship with the redeemed. Verse 17, Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, I wonder when Peter was writing this, did his mind go back to that day when one of the twelve, maybe it was Peter himself, said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Savior said, when you pray, say, Our Father, Our Father. And you know, as a child ought to approach his father as one to be honoured. And that's, that's so clear in the, in the fifth commandment, but even, even more so in the first petition. The Lord calls us to approach the throne of grace. Hallowed be thy name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Surely we, 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 we know that we need to approach the Lord as a father, as a heavenly father, with that awe and reverence. But maybe Peter's mind went back too to that, that day in Job, at Simon's house, where on, on, on the rooftop he had a vision. And the Lord said, said to him, Do not call anything impure that God has made clear. And of course, he had that, immediately after that, he had the visit uh, from Cornelius the Gentile, the Roman soldier, the centurion. And, and, and God was teaching him that he's not influenced by a man's nationality or rank. And, and, and we have it here. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. God's not influenced or swayed or intimidated. He's infinitely above all that. He's, men are so easily caused to stand and awe of men, of those who are in authority, but God is awed by no one. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all his attributes. So, so in this relationship between the Lord and the redeemed, Peter's thinking of, 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 of God as a father, but one who is absolutely impartial, and then one who is our judge since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. And you know, 
right, okay, when we talk of the judgment, we, we think of that day when, when the, the lost will be utterly condemned uh, and the people of God brought into the kingdom. Uh, and we think, too, of the judgment of the work of every, every, every man's soul. But, but then there's the judgment, too, of the, the present time. How does God look upon us today? God, the all-seeing, the all-knowing God. I, I just have to say, if you knew all that was going through my mind, or all that uh, I, 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 if I knew all that was going through your mind, if I could discern your thoughts and motives, would you, would you not really stand in awe of me? Peter says here, since you call on a father who judges, judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. So first of all, good reason is God's relationship with his redeemed. But secondly, another good reason for the fear of God, when we think of that from which we were redeemed. Uh, You were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefather. Redeemed from that that empty, that useless, that hopeless condition. You were, you were slaves to Satan. You were in bondage to the evil one. Who else would have wanted you? Oh, does it not fill us with amazement that God should take a worm and make him a prince? If we could only see your unregenerate nature through God's eyes, we could only marvel at his greatness and his love. And this, this empty, empty way of life is, is, is generic. It's, it's inherited. It infects the whole race. It runs, it runs in the blood. It runs in your blood and in my blood. It's not something that we can cure ourselves since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers in our sinful state not only hellbound but helpless and hopeless but redeemed redeemed oh what a glorious gracious and miraculous work of God it is, and indeed, that, that, that very word, redeemed, uh, means that there is there, there is a payment that, that had to be paid. Uh, 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 there is a payment, first of all, that a debt that is due, and that has to be paid. And thank God, it was paid by our Saviour on Calvary. Redeemed from an infinite debt to a holy God. Humanly speaking, a, a, an altogether impossible situation. No brother and sister in the Lord. Look at that from which you have been redeemed. The angels must look down and marvel. And so should we. And because of it, have that awe and reverence for the Lord. And thirdly, the apostle here points us to the great price of our redemption. The great price of our redemption. 
So you know it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, not with perishable things. What it wasn't that redeemed us. Gold and silver. Oh, we think of our sometimes of gold and silver. Great stuff. I wish I had more of it. If we had more, look, look, look at all we could do. But look at how God views these things. Almost with contempt. Perishable. Perishable things. Just as you go to the, the, the fridge or the, the whatever one, something has been lying there too long and, uh, and, and there it's rotten. And the only thing you can do with it is throw it out. It's no use. So God says in terms of your redemption, that's what silver and gold and all these things, just like a, 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 a rotten egg, you cannot buy your redemption. You cannot buy your redemption. In fact, it's the case that for many, it's the, the silver and gold is actually the, the purchase of their eternal damnation. Think about it. Think about what it wasn't that bought your redemption. But then about what it was. Verse 19. Gold and silver the, the Holy Spirit describes as perishable things. But here is something he describes as precious. When the Jewish leaders averted their eyes from that dreadful looking expired corpse on the central cross on Calvary. Why, they, they, they wouldn't have given tuppence for it. Take it away, take it away. Tomorrow is the Sabbath. This is an affront to the eyes of decent men. God says, precious. Precious beyond anything that this world has ever known. The one who just now had cried, finished. The work of redemption is complete. The debt is paid. The very last sin of all God's people of every age has been atoned for. The debt is fully paid. God spared not his own son, but delivered him up from us all. The lamb without blemish or defect. The sinless son of God. The great price of our redemption. Oh, what the Father gave that day is far, far beyond human calculation. He who writes off the wealth of this world as of nothing declares of his own son precious, precious. And then he tells us he was chosen before the creation of the world. All this was in the grand purpose of God even before the world began. Plan, planned, lamb that was slain. Oh, you who love the Lord. Your salvation was not something that you planned, not some change of purpose on the part of God. It was all planned out in the councils of eternity. Every sin that you would commit balanced against every awful pain of conscience that the Savior suffered. Every idle thought balanced perfectly against every outpouring of the wrath of the Father on his own dear Son. The price of our redemption was perfectly costed and 
fully paid. It is not the fear of God, the awe and reverence of him, fully justified. But then fourthly and finally, the purpose of our redemption. Our purpose of our redemption here was but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and hope are in God. You and I who were fellow slaves toiling together for a father that that hated us, Satan, who did everything that he could to bring about our eternal damnation. Why, why did the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit rescue us at such cost? You and I who, who fought against him, who didn't even want to be rescued. Why did the Father pour out his wrath upon his own dear Son? Why did the Son bear such agony? Why did the Holy Spirit hold him there? The Apostle says, For your sake. It's beyond all human understanding. This is no light or frothy or flippant matter. Surely we can only bow down before him in awe and wonder who did this for us. He says here, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. You see, God did all this so that you would trust in him so that you would be saved from your sins. But in God's great plan, he also raised his son from the grave, and he has ascended. Today he is seated in glory. This is all part of our redemption. For those who trust in the Lord Jesus are part of the body of Christ, are in, in him. And we, will too, we too will rise on that great day, that great and glorious resurrection. What a a weight of glory that will be. And we will all stand before the throne. We shall see him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The God whom we fear, the God whom we Revere and, and again, and he says, "So your faith and hope are in God." As we contemplate these glorious eternal truths concerning the Almighty God and His unsurpassable work for us, words cannot describe His person or His wonderful mercy. We can only apply our limited minds to marvel and and, and our hearts to love Him and our lives to serve him. And as we turn away our desires from the paltry and perishing things of the world, we look to him and his great work. Our faith and our hope are in the God, the God who is worthy of all our reverence. Yes, we think of his relationship with the redeemed. We think of that from which we were redeemed. We think of the price of our redemption. We think of the 
purpose of our redemption. Could it be that there's one here today and this, is, this doesn't apply to you? Could it be that you're not in that condition? You're not one of the redeemed? And really, your fear ought to be the dread of one day meeting this same God. You cannot say that the Savior says to you, fear not, little flock, because you're not one of that little flock. Oh, I plead with you. I plead with you. This redemption is available for all who trust in the Savior. But for the people of God, for the redeemed, for those to whom the Apostle Peter is speaking here, to whom the Holy Spirit gives this word. Oh, let us, let us stand in great awe and wonder as we contemplate our great and glorious and wonderful Savior God.